Matt. Welcome. Thanks, Keone. Former co-workers, thanks for coming on. Thanks um, for we worked me. at uh, at McLeod. That's right. McLeodusa, people call it McLeod USA. <laughs> what a what a what a crazy fucking place. Dude, that, that was, was awesome. Man. We had a blast. We did, and I think back to that because um, I'm writing now. I'm starting to chronicle my life story. I have been actually for a few years, and I don't get enough time to write. But when I do, I'll I'll lay down like 20 pages, and then I'll be done with it. But um, I'm right there now. I'm right at, at McLeod. I'm right at McLeod now. What and year did you start? 99. Okay, so I started 99 as well. Yeah, May of 99 is when I started. So I started August. So we were, okay. I was wondering that. I was telling Mike how we met. I was wondering, did we start at the same time? Were you there before me? Was it after? But I remember it was very close. Yeah, I think there was a lot of people on the floor that started kind of at the same, the same oh, yeah. time. Because that was the big boom. That was. I think we were. hit like 150 reps at one point in time. Probably. So yeah. it's pretty hard to remember everybody. On the inside sales yeah. floor. And so when I was going through and I was writing some of this stuff and I was writing the things that really came to my mind, all of these other memories started popping up. And that's the thing. You don't think about things. No. People don't sit and think in depth and go, hmm, I'm going to take an hour and sit here and ponder that and start digging. But what I found in writing this memoir of my life is that when you do that, you dig up a lot in your own mind, just like, really? as, oh yeah, as you write, you start writing, you go, holy shit, I totally forgot about this whole person. And this person, and then this memory attack, and then it links to somebody else and it links to somebody else. So um, there were a lot of people that I had kind of forgotten about and I feel bad about that. Yeah. But like my life is forward, you yep. know what I mean? Like, especially with this, my passion in the gym, my life is the gym. And I meet people. It's what I remember you from. Yeah. I, I meet my people every day. <clears throat> I meet new people every day. Yeah. And I'm spending every waking hour in this facility trying to build my gym and trying to build, you know. But it's also a lifestyle. It is. It is. And, but then I think about all of the like really funny and cool people and crazy experiences that I had at McLeod. And so now those are starting to come up. And uh, what's one remember? Uh, a memory? Yeah. No oh, shit. Where do I start? Um, the, uh, the Beanie Baby Wars. <laughs> do you do you remember? I remember some of that. Top level, top tier, was, top tier, top tier. Um, was fifty eight sales yep. when I got there, and then like three four months later, it was sixty, and then it went up to sixty two. <laughs> people making too much money. Uh huh. And then it got kind of out of reach, and it beat me down a little bit. But when the when the commission dropped in terms of like its motivation for a lot of people, they started handing out these these really shitty prizes for sales. And one of them was a Beanie Baby that was shaped like a star. <laughs> and all of these disgruntled, uh, incredibly high sales reps. Oh my God, yes. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> um, Everyone knew it. Started waging war <laughs> and they, they gutted the star-shaped Beanie Babies and they removed the, the plastic pellets. And you know, in the story, in, in what I'm writing, I'm recounting the sales floor, which when we say the sales floor, we say it's a floor. Uh -huh. It's wide open. Like your gym. Desk to desk. Yes. Yeah, wide open. With you can run up quite a ways all yeah, desks. Yeah. It's like the a quarter of the facility. Basically. Yeah. And so they would gut these beanie babies and they would fill their, you know, their drawer uh, reservoir shelf full of these little beanie babies. <laughs> and then what would happen? They would take a pen. They would take the... <laughs> They would take the ink out of the pen and then they would projectile these things across the sales floor. So 
in between calls and when all of the soups, the supervisors and managers weren't looking, all of the salespeople would have their pen. And <laughs> I remember uh, James, James Tracy had. Oh, he's hilarious. Yeah. He would have a mouthful of <laughs> He would, he would have a, like a chipmunk. He'd have a little pocket in his cheek and he'd be, you know, and he'd like somebody would turn it. And you would just see like every, all of the salespeople would wait for the perfect moment. And it was like war games. You would see the pellets flying through the air. Um, and the, the, the cannabis, I had never been exposed to that much that cannabis in my life. Quite amazing. Nine out of 10 of the people on Lieutenant Dan McDaniel's yeah. team were just bombed out of their mind. And I didn't smoke at the time. Nope. I had smoked, but the, the sheer volume of smokers on that team and the amount that they smoked was like, Whoa, this is, I'm not even used to this. Break, smoke, lunch, smoke, second break, smoke, smoke. after work, smoke. smoke. <laughs> yep. And uh, it was all, it was nonstop, but. Um, getting baked in the way to work. Dan's yeah. doing his, you know, pre, after lunch. I'm going to try to motivate these motivationalists. Right. <laughs> these lunch. stoners. Yeah. And uh, Nick's sitting there and Nick couldn't hide it. Like a lot of people would come in and just, oh, they'd yeah. hide it. Nick couldn't hide his bloodshot eyes, right? And uh, he goes, uh, Dan looks down and sees Nick and I'm looking at Nick and I'm looking at Dan and he's looking at Nick and Nick's not looking at anybody. <laughs> and Dan stops mid-sentence. He stops mid-sentence and goes, he looks around at everybody, looks at Nick, slowly opens his desk drawer. As he's standing there with his papers trying to give this motivational speech, everybody's going, what is he doing? Takes out eye drops i knew it he, he goes nick you you were out there at lunch were you uh was there dust getting your eye when your eyes look pretty red what were you doing out there and nick's like oh. dan was brutal dude like but there were so many experiences at mcleod that were just insane and like i'm really grateful to have that i still think back to that from time to time and it seemed like a lifetime ago I mean, it honestly it does. seems like an absolute lifetime. It ago. does. You know, when I think about all the shit that's transpired in life, um, the people I've met, the people I've lost, um, I was a boy, you know, for all intents and purposes. Yeah. But how old were you? Um, I was 19. So I remember you're just a young pup. And I, I was 19. Yeah. You know, I'm 10 years older than you are. So mm -hmm. I just felt, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, when I got there, I was like, so I, I didn't have the, I didn't think that I could do this. Like I doubted myself at this point in time. And I was talking to somebody about this just a few days ago about how um, you can see people smile on the mm -hmm. phone. And when I first got there and I, they, they trained me and I, I was given the freedom to make up my own script. Yeah. Um, my initial sales pitch, I remember you telling me like that sales pitch is fucking great. Like you told me that. Right. And I was like, oh, awesome. And this, <clears throat> this is what it was. <clears throat> hey, is Matt there? And say, yeah, yeah, this is Matt. Hey, Matt, this is Keone with Hard Drive, or not Hard Drive. <laughs> <laughs> this is Keone with McLeod USA. How's it going? I'd always upbeat. Yep. Uh, good. Great. Hey, the reason for the call today was to let you know that we're now interrupting the monopoly there that Quest has in your market. And now you have a chance to get uh, phone service through McLeod. Isn't that great? And it was so cheesy. Yes. Yeah. Tie down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Great. So what kind of features do you use on your phone? That turned into, uh, two years later after getting 
brutalized, brutal, beaten through through rejection after rejection, shitty leads, bad markets. Hey, is Matt there? Yep. And that's it. Yep. It's over. Like that same sales pitch. Isn't that great? No, it ain't, motherfucker. Yep. <laughs> yep. Get off my line. I hate telemarketers. <laughs> but you could you could hear the smile. And I started when I was writing, I was thinking back to the sales pitches because I eventually would become a supervisor and I would yep. listen to people's sales pitches and I could hear it. I could hear that they were just going through the motions. I experienced had, it once too. Yeah. They had to find that diamond in the rough that absolutely needed them. You do lose it. You get beat up. Yeah. And you just need that coach to get you back to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and you need that, that self-motivation to come out and say, I want to be back where I was at. Yeah. And you know, what I need to do and through the coaching, hopefully not discipline, but through the coaching, move back where you need to be at. And probably not as high as you were before, but yeah. not as low as what you're at. More the happy medium to where the call's more, oh, I know I got this expert on the other line, but he's he's doing his job really well. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would monitor people and I, I could hear like really good conversations yep. going on, but a lot of those, a lot of those reps, man, by the time, you know, I don't know, 2000, 2001 came around, they'd been on the floor for a year and they'd been on the floor for two years and the rejections build up. And it seemed like in sales, you have, um, you have somebody who's either able to do it forever. Yeah. Or it's like 50, 50, you can either do this forever or after two years of rejection, you're just done. Yep. You have nothing left in the thing. Nope. I, I, I couldn't do the sales thing anymore. And uh, I got this job at Transamerica, but I was now deep into the, the heat of training, you know, yeah. like training at a higher level. I started my basement crew when I was at McLeod yep. and they were doing big things. And so I wanted to keep the ball rolling there. And I, I started this gym in Lamont and thinking, oh, you know, there's going to be some area wrestlers that are bored. And no. There's no nothing. There was like my cousin, my brother, and some dude from Independence. Did Keone or not Keone? Didn't, uh, who am I thinking of? Dale. Did Keely go out there? I don't know if Dale went out there because I think Dale was done at that point in time. I think okay. um, Dale trained with me when I was training in a mobile home <laughs> during the mobile home. I know, era. It was so much fun. You guys would be so beat up the next day. Oh, dude. Like, and I could never understand it. Dale's like, it's awesome. Like, dude, your half your face is like carpet burn. I know, but we had so much fun. Yep. Knees, carpet oh, burn, yeah. blood all over my carpet. Yeah. I tell people this shit back there that are training right now. I don't know if they believe me. Like, it's such a wild story. I, I never watched it, but I saw what happened afterwards and I was told. It's passion. Let's yep. talk about guns. Um, right now, it's relevant because it is. Uh, the I don't I don't like to put labels, but I think we can say the left. The left is fervent in their attack against uh, what they call assault rifles. What they really mean, what they really mean when they say assault rifles is guns that have been made to look scary in the media that shoot semi-automatic. Yep. Right. Um, they're not automatic. They are the the interesting thing when somebody says, "Oh, these are assault rifles." You and I both know that the rounds that these guns that they're talking about, like the, the AR-15, which does not stand for assault rifle, does by the not. way. Armalite, Ar- is it Armalite? It's the, it's a manufacturer. Yeah, it's not. It's the first one they came out with. It's it. not assault rifle. That's all they need. It's like Coke. Yeah. What kind of Coke you want, Pepsi, please? Yeah, um, heckler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, they shoot the same ammunition yeah. as those really, as 
a, a very, very old school looking wooden stock. If you look at a two, two, three, it's nothing. It, it isn't. But, but now they're talking in the media about how it explodes body parts and it's designed oh to do that. And just all this. Sen- it's just sensationalist bullshit, sensationalist bullshit. So you have these guns, you have a, a wooden rifle. They, that will shoot these rounds as fast as you can pull but the it's trigger. a wooden rifle. Right. It doesn't look mean. It's for hunting. Looks like World War II guys. And then it. you get an AR-15, which is just a type of rifle and a type of build yeah. of rifle. And people think it's an absolute monstrous killing machine. Let's put, let's put a wrap on it and make it American. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this it's, is terrible. It's the same thing. Same thing. So now we have this, this big push to ban these, these rifles, which... They've done this before. They've put limitations on assault rifle mm-hmm. bans before, and th- those limitations were lifted, and people went back to mind these things. Why is there no focus on the spiritual sickness that drives people to murder? Why is there no focus on the fact that people are killed every single day without the use of firearms, and there's absolutely nothing said about it? We have this mental health epidemic. It's right? beyond belief. It's beyond belief. It's it's so beyond belief that people are willfully ignorant to it and delusional. They're they're practicing cognitive dissonance and they're like, I'm going to just pretend that this thing doesn't happen. If you walk downtown Chicago, you see it all over the place. You know, you walk in certain parts of San Francisco, you got eight blocks of just total hellhole. You know, now you're seeing you know homelessness and stuff all over Portland. But you have a mental health epidemic and you have a situation where there's millions of people in the country that are so unfulfilled and so happy, so unhappy and so miserable that they would pick up a a weapon of any kind and kill people. You have uh, an instance in Paris a couple years ago where somebody rents a truck and drives it through a crowd and kills what, like 70 people? Yeah. And nobody talks about increasing, banning trucks or increasing the regulation. You have people that will immediately put the counterpart. 70 people too. Yeah. It makes it really easy to kill people though. That's the real problem. Is there even a 70 round mag? I think the biggest one I've ever seen is 40, 45. Oh, there's, there's drums. Oh, true. Right. There's, there's hundred round drums, but, but here's what I have to say. Like if, if we lived in a society where people are trained, balanced, mentally sound and understand firearms, Nobody's going to kill 70 people with a firearm because no. they're going to get killed. Yep. They're going to get shot. And there's instances where this happens, and those instances don't get media play. Now we have a culture where even where people are shooting uh, assailants and attackers oh, yeah. in just causes, that the left is going, he could have shot him in the leg. You are so detached from the reality of this violence. This is the biggest area to hit, people. Yeah, and I you know can't what? can't hit a leg like I can hit this area. And. And another thing that they would never know because they've never dealt with that level of violence is when somebody is running at you and with, oh. with murderous intent, yep. you can aim for the torso and miss repeatedly. Yep. It's not the movies. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to take his leg out and teach him a lesson. Yep. That's not the way. I've told this a hundred times in practice. Yeah. No, I haven't. And people are also stupid for anatomy. There's a femoral artery in the leg. And if you hit it, they'll die. Yeah. They'll die within seconds because they'll bleed out right yep. there on the pavement ignorance the 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 anti-gun lobby and the anti-gunners i used to be a part of them they're the only group of people that are allowed to have an argument against taking people's personal property that have no respective experience with that property that's true they have no perspective most arguments and debates involve two people with relative objective experience that can go, this is why I argue this way, this is why I argue that way, let's find a, a middle ground. 
there are there are leftists or liberals or whatever you want to label you want to slap on it that have guns but proportionately yep tiny amount i was raised around guns and i remember my buddies several times we, i don't think we had our guns in our cars my buddies did they came from the farm of course and i'd have to pick mine up after school which is right up the street and then we'd take off we'd go squirrel hunting rabbit hunting pheasant quail whatever and it was no big deal i, I mean in fact I, my, I wouldn't even tell my dad i tell mom mom going hunting okay yeah it was absolutely no big deal. We were trained properly. Um, we didn't hammer around. You know, we were around a lot of farm community. You know, you could go out to anyone's fr friend's house and shoot for a day or shoot no play pigeons. And no, <laughs> no, nothing. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the thing that blows my mind. I never mind. even thought about it. Never even fathomed about picking up a gun and wanting to shoot somebody. Well, you had a, you had an understanding of consequence. Yeah. And you probably had a reason to live. And yeah. I've always said, if I'm going to pull it, I need to be threatened that far I mean, if i see a loved one getting attacked you know um someone breaking my house you know if you don't seem threatening i'm, I'm gonna try to, to just hey get back out my door leave out my door but if they come running through my door like i don't have a choice people are also quick at home to be like well i have stay on your law ground now so i'll shoot whoever comes in my house yeah no no you literally do not have the right to shoot that person if they walk in your house take your tv off your house and walk out it's a possession. Unless they pr they present a danger to your life. Yep. Yeah. And at that point, they just walked in, which they shouldn't have. That's not a danger. They walked up, took TV, which isn't a danger, and they left. Not a danger. It really sucked. You felt scared. You you felt you could be in danger, but you could be in danger at a point in time of your life, where, where, no matter where you're at. See, like, here's my thing. I've, I've seen a, enough violence in my life to know that if you have a, this huge dude barreling at you, and he's pissed, and he hits you, and he knocks you out, you could be dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just, just that kind of aggression by the time he gets to the point where he's within swinging range, you might not have time to draw your weapon and present your weapon. I agree. I watched a video once where this guy goes, okay, I'm going to show you how to win a, win a knife fight. Best way, best way ever win a knife fight. You're quick, fast, easy. Can I guess? Yeah. He runs. Yep. Yeah. Doesn't it make sense? Why even fool with it? it I, I've seen knife fights, I've seen knife attacks, I've seen gun attacks, and they never happen in the delusional mindset that people think that they do. Nope. And so, you know, I, I was born and raised in a liberal house, and it was a very, very peaceful house. There were no guns in my house. There were never guns in my house. My parents would never get guns, never even think about it. They, were, they felt threatened in the presence of my uncle who would bring a gun with him to uh, Christmas. Right, because he he lived it's in Omaha. He was a renter. Um, he he owned some properties, and yep. so he carried with him all the time. So he'd bring this in the presence of a gun in the house, like made everybody nervous. So this was really interesting to me, and I I you know grew up you know as a child in this house, going, why can't people get along? What the fuck is wrong with the world? Why would people want to kill each other? Like it just. Yep. I felt like we had evolved as a species to a point where we should have transcended this. And I think we should have. I think there's certain things put in place or certain people in place that are preventing this from happening. But um, that's what I know now. Then I was living in kind of this utopian dreamland where everybody should be nice to each other and the guns shouldn't even exist because all they do is kill people. <laughs> and that's really what I believed. Unicorns and rainbows. Yeah. Then it was about 20 you know, I wouldn't even say 20, I'd say it was 18 because by that time I had actually purchased my first firearm, 22 and a 38. And I was like, okay, guns are a thing. They're an 18th century technology. It doesn't matter what I think about them. People are going to have them. It's a tool. It's a tool. 
And it's a tool that if you banned them, if you passed legislation, sweeping legislation, hey, in America, all guns are banned, which you're not going to do. You can do that in Australia. You can do it in the UK. Yep. The culture of America, it ain't nope. going to happen. But let's say you do. And let's say that um, a genie comes out of a bottle and he goes, Shazam. And all the guns vaporize. The next day, in metal shops all across America, <laughs> there's going to be handmade guns made. Yep. It's going to happen. It's part of the ethos in our mindset. So I started getting, I bought a couple weapons and I went to the range and I started shooting. I started shooting with my Gotta friends, responsible. like you said, yep. out, at, out at old country farms, planking off cans yep. and stuff like that. And Which I was a good like, time. it is. And it's a skill. 22 is a lot of fun. Just bing, yeah. bing, bing. And so that's when I realized, well, these guns don't have murderous intent. Nope. Human beings have murderous intent. And guns, yes, they do make it easy to take a life, but it doesn't explain the the motive to take a life. It doesn't it doesn't take nothing that you could pass from a legislation standpoint will fix the no. spiritual sickness that makes people want to kill. And if you do, and if you are successfully, uh, uh, if you're successful in banning weapons, people are gonna make bombs. Oh yeah. People are gonna drive trucks. And people are going to wield knives. So I, I saw this, a couple of videos recently that, that play into this. Ex-boyfriend gets dumped by his girlfriend, comes to the door. There's a ring. Two years later. That's crazy. Dead expressionless look in his eyes. Dead. Uh, before he starts to forcefully enter a house, yep. her dad's saying, I have a gun. Don't come in here. I have a gun. Don't come in here. He comes in, gets killed. Another video from a place where I'm, I'm pretty sure guns aren't legal. I'm not completely sure. I don't want to get held to that. But there was this group of people aggressing toward in like an old, in a, like a street fight after the bar closed or whatever. And a guy pulls a knife. And they keep aggressing towards him. And the guy starts swinging this knife and somebody walks up and does this shit. And I'm like, whoa, buddy. Yeah. You better get the fuck away from there. You yep. shouldn't be following this guy. This guy's trying to get away from yep. you. You should be backing off of this guy. Um, barely misses this guy's face with a swipe with a knife. Right? Just the guy barely dodges it. He's real cocky about it. And then his friend walks up, big dude, like you're talking about, walks up right up next to this guy, hands down, in the neck. And the dude runs off. The dude hits him as he's backing up. He hits him in the neck and starts backing away. And this guy goes, done. Yep. 15 seconds later, he's dead on the concrete. Yep. Bled out right there. Because of ego, because of pride, because yep. of some spiritual or psychological sickness that we have in our society. And in America, it's rampant. I just got back from Norway, dude. You want to talk oh, about yeah, your pictures are great, dude. Thank you. You want to talk about culture shock? I've been to Israel. I know. I saw those pictures. I too. had culture shock from Israel. Nothing compared to Norway. Norway really? was the chillest place I've ever visited in my life. And when I went there and I came back, I was like, America's a shithole. Dude, I've heard that more and more. And, and, and you know, when I traveled when I was younger, I never experienced, I never realized as I got older. Yeah. America, we aren't the the the, the best country in the world. I don't feel like we are. We're not. So what we have I think we do some things great, but I think we do a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah. And we're heavily indoctrinated. We're Big heavily indoctrinated with a, an egoism and a pride that we're the best. And what what we really should be saying accurately is we have the most opportunity to thrive. We have the ability. If you there are people that have come to America with zero dollars. Yep. And they're millionaires now. Yep. There are people, I've talked to immigrants. I know a lot of immigrants and I've talked to them and they've said, hey, 
this this is the best country on earth for me because from where I came from, yeah. I couldn't do shit. No. And here, I built a real estate empire and my family's taken care of and people are generally good. Like America, in America, we people are. are generally good. Yes. Um, we have the rights to speak freely for the most part, yep. even though the data is now changing that a little bit. But we have a lot should, of opportunity. I feel we should be more conscious of what we say. Yes. You know, be more in tune with, I mean, I think that, you know, I can't say something, not say something because I'm going to offend one person. Mm -hmm. You know, I just think that, you know, it just, I think you still can speak and say what you need to say, but just say it the right way. Just be responsible. Yep. What I, what I gathered from Norway is, you know, I'm very liberty minded, very liberty minded. I'd defend it with my life. I wouldn't even think twice about it. Norway, I felt freer. Really? In some, some, because Norway has like freedom to roam. You can just like wander around. Like you can just wander and live off the land and keep wandering. Kind of. Yeah. Wow. And, um, you know, nobody's doing that, but you, here's what I didn't see in Norway. Litter, crime, poverty, anywhere. Really? When I went to Oslo, which is the biggest city in Norway, I think I saw one panhandler. No kidding. In the whole city and everything was clean. Everybody has what they need to survive. And this probably has to do with like a foreign relations policy that doesn't start wars every fucking year. Right. And spend trillions of dollars on militarism. Yep. Um, but whatever efficiency in their culture they have, they have it figured out pretty tightly. And then I come back to America and I'm like, okay, look, there are gated communities, there's mansions, there's people living these prosperous lives, but then there's also downtown Chicago. There's New York City. There's all you driven in, in, under any bridges here in Cedar Rapids. Sure. There, yeah. There, there's, you don't see a clear spot of no personal property up above down there. Yeah. So you have a polarity, right? You yeah. Have, in Norway, you have this really efficient coexistence and balance. And in America, you have this enormous polarity. You have absolutely opportunity, but you also have a mental health epidemic that is driving people more into the sub more into the lower end of the spectrum and people are, there's so much more poverty here. It's just ridiculous. Well, I see it and I deal with some of them to where their mental is so insane that they don't understand what a nice environment is. I mean, they'll do something and still deny they did it mm -hmm. and then fight, want to fight and argue about that. No, they didn't do it. And yeah. just coming after them, um, destroying, destroying rooms, uh, because of their mental illness. It's, yep. it's phenomenal. And, and they, they go through a cycle and they go back in jail and they go through halfway house. They come out, they're good for a while. Oh, they hang out with someone that does drugs. Now they go back. And, yeah. and you know, you get a lot of these sex offenders that, that I've seen, I've seen very few sex offenders that I've dealt with that I didn't go. Yeah. You reek of being a sex offender. You can just kind of tell. Cause they change when they're around certain people. Yeah. Um, or they're very sexually minded. And you just pick up the more I've had some tenants that are that way. And the more you're around them, the more you pick up on it. Yeah. And uh, uh, I had uh, I had a couple tenants uh, help me trash out a house, and, and they were both sex offenders. And um, I went back to the garage afterwards to kind of gather some things we would left, and we were going to move later. And there was a tenant's picture, the previous tenant that was there, a picture of their of their young daughter sitting on one of the dressers that was still in the garage. We threw away all their personal property. Why is this one picture of a little girl sitting in this garage? So one day this one particular tenant ticked me off and he said something about, you know, he's not a pedo and blah, blah, blah. I said, dude, whatever, man. I said, I found that picture of that girl in that garage. I know both of you two. There's no reason why you guys would have a little girl picture on a desk in the garage. 
You know, I said, you know, I'm not going to ask you to work for me anymore. I'm not going to, I don't want your help. None of that stuff. I'm just I'm done with you. And, um, and he, he made it. Yeah. I was going to keep it. Oh yeah. You were, weren't you? Yeah. Sicko. I mean, and, and you're not going to fix them. They don't want to be rehabilitated. The ones I have dealt with just want to keep living. They want to keep doing their stupid things, getting their disability. In their cycle. They're, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And, and we're, and we're, I think those amount of people are growing. Yeah. Why is, why do you think that is? You know, it's funny because the only commonality that I can think of that it would be across the masses would be um, vaccinations. Really? What else is every, I mean, why do, why do we have a large amount of people that's getting worse? I, I personally, I think it's, I, I'm not, I would never count out any argument, but for me, I think it's, I think it's economic. I think, I think our populace is so entitled and so oh. has, has adopted the victim mindset to such a pervasive Very much so. that they don't even entertain the notion that they can be a winner, that they can change. I, it drives me fucking nuts because I didn't believe in myself when I was a kid. I neither. I was totally shy. Yep. I was withdrawn. I had no friends. And this was par partly because of my living situation. But if you would have told me when I was eight, nine, ten, hey, someday you're going to grow up and you're going to start a fight team in your basement. And you're gonna you're gonna go to the public you library. You did it, it as a fireman. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go to the public library and study martial arts books, and eventually you're gonna own this big giant fucking gym and be doing podcasts and have kids thanking you for teaching them martial arts and being their own little personal regional hero. I would have laughed at you. Right. I wouldn't have laughed at you. I would have been, I would have been upset and angry at you for telling me a lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. There was no faith yeah. there. And in where I am now, I'm not Conor McGregor on a yacht or anything like that. Right. But I'm in a place where I'm very happy. I'm fulfilled. I feel like I'm making a difference in life. And I feel confident, personal empowerment myself. And it's because of choices. Yep. It's, because, it's because of a long string of pain and misery and suffering and choosing to just keep going. fucking going. I tell people this all the time. You can start making choices whenever you want. But if, you, if your expectation is you're just going to be handed the Conor McGregor life, you're out of your fucking mind. Not going to happen. You're delusional. You have, to, you have to compound upon this momentum over the course of years. Yep. If you want to attain a level of mastery, it takes 10,000 hours. Do the math. Yep. Separate the days out and see how long that takes. It takes years. Yep. But if you do that, I tell people this almost daily. If you have something you love to do and you set a path and you just go, I'm going to do this till I'm dead. I don't care. I don't care if I ever make a dime on it. I'm going to do this till it, I'm dead and I'm going to try to get a little bit better at it every day. In about five to 10 years, you're going to get good enough at that thing that people are going to come to you and go, hey, I like that thing too. I want to know how to do that thing. Yep. And I want to pay you money to show me how to do that thing. It doesn't matter what the fuck that thing is. Yep. Somebody will pay you for it. Now, I took the, the road less traveled. What I should have done is went and got mentors that would teach me. Unfortunately, in this area, no jujitsu, no. no Muay Thai kickboxing. I would have had to travel an hour and a half or two. And some people <clears throat> do that. And some people from here done that. Yeah, well, not from here, but like there were people in early MMA that would drive three hours to train every day, bro. Wow. 
Yeah. And they're driving three hours home after they're in training. Yes. It's insane. It's that, like, when I think about my life. It'd be a good protein shake. Yeah. Then I look, look at them and I'm going, well, shit, maybe I'm not as committed as I thought. But the point is, if you build upon it, build upon it, build upon it, you'll get it. Nope. People have been so beaten down, overstimulated, indoctrinated, dumbed down through the schooling system, dumbed down through what they watch on TV. The fucking, it used to be three hours a day. Now it's eight hours a day. Yep. That they don't believe or they know that they don't have to try and apply themselves. And then when you slowly whittle down the value of the American dollar and you make people work harder for that dollar, a a higher proportionate amount of those people are just going to go, no, yeah, I don't want to. I can get welfare. I can be a crazy fucking lunatic and draw some kind of government check and I don't even have to do anything. And when I'm not doing anything, what's it's going to be easier to do? Drugs. Yep. You know, be a, be a, a pedo, just make horrible decisions. There are people out there that are so Steal and sell online and rob and be a piece of shit. Yeah. That's what they are. Be be piece of shit is right. And it's a choice. Like when I hear there's nothing more infuriating to me when I hear somebody say, I can't. I oh, I can't stand lose it. Lose my shit. What do you mean? Like, if I'm asking you, can you fly to the moon? And you say, well, no, I can't. Give me a reason why. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't have the money. I can't afford a, a, a or, or, rocket or, or build a rocket. Right. Build it. Fuck, yeah. People do it. They, they do. And like, th- that's what I, those are the people that I really want to, I, I want to vibe with. I want to vibe with people that go, no, there's a way. Yeah. I can, How I, bad do you want it? Out. Yeah. My Maybe. mom and dad used to all the time. Well, you could do that if you put your mind to it. And they were right. But they weren't going to do it for me. Right. I use the same thing with my son. I'm like, dude, you want to do that, man? That's up to you. I'll support you. But you got it. You got to want it more than I do. Yeah. Give me some elbow grease. Yeah. By 25, you should have went through enough shit and oh, screwed up much. enough times yep. that you know the under, and understand the power of personal choice yep. and your own success. If yep. you don't get it by then, you're basically just going... Whatever the world throws at me. Yep. I got no real direction in my life. You know? I learned that by 25, I love to fail because it got me better. Mm-hmm. And was it so, I wasn't, I didn't have personal embarrassment, embarrassment of it. Right. I'd look at somebody else and go, well, what did you do? Nothing. Well, at least I tried and I fell, but I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it better this next time. Yeah. I learned from that. It's such a critical component of it success is. that I don't think people think about. Like, I've met people and known people close to me that, think that they should just be good enough at something to be successful or they'll try something and like they'll do it for two weeks and then when they don't have instant success or fame they well it's just not nobody's ever gonna it's like losing weight oh man i've been doing this every day and i haven't lost anything dude you're gonna have to get your metabolism to where it's reversed you're just equaling it out which is why you haven't gained you've been doing it every day for two days yeah 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 exactly (laughs) two days into it it sucks doesn't it yeah it's it's committing to the long haul. And I, I can't identify with that can't thing. I, I like anybody in, in our country, and that, that's what I'll say about America. And that's probably what a lot of immigrants would say about America. If you really want it, if you come from a country where you can't even have it, no matter right. how hard you work, and you come to an America where if you work hard, you absolutely can have it, the opportunity is great. Freedom, liberty, that's another story. <clears throat> Social media has 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 just poured gasoline on this mental health thing because you have people now more self-absorbed and more self-deluded than ever before. They think their opinions and themselves are so fucking important. That's why anybody says anything they want online. Yeah. And and they and even worse, like you go on Twitter and you have people that are like, 
this is what I believe. And literally, I'm not, I'm going to set it up so when I'm on Twitter that you can't even respond to me unless you're my follower. And then if you are a follower and you respond with any contrary argument, I'm going to delete you and block you. Wow. That ha- like, that's a huge thing. And then the people that have these really dissenting opinions and they're like really harsh or really super extreme left or right, they're like, they have cartoon avatars and like 10 followers. They're not real. They're either somebody's, they're either somebody's guilty troll pleasure or they're some kind of political bot. But think about the unintended consequences of manipulating information yeah. to everyone on the And planet. I think they're doing it. They are doing it. Constantly. Yeah. And they have been doing it. And like probably the most important event of our lifetimes that people are now forgetting and losing touch with. And this is just my opinion because of the deluge of new stories and new atrocities. And you've got to pay attention to this and that. 9-11. 9-11 is what started it all. Country's never been the same nope. after 9-11. At 9-11, I woke up. I was working at McLeod. Tish called me up. She was working in customer, customer care. Dude, I couldn't find TV fast enough that day. I yeah. wanted to go home. I was looking at Jolene and said, I don't even want to be here. I want to go home and watch this. I was sleeping. Like I got a newborn at home. I think they did let people go early. They did. They started yeah. letting people go. Um, Remember we were calling New York? Yeah. And they're like, why are you calling us? Don't you see the news? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're, I, so, we're telemarketing New York City. So I, was, I wasn't I was at work yet when this was going down. So yeah. I, was, I was sleeping on she my couch. She came at noon, right? Yeah, 1230. I was sleeping on my couch in the mobile home. And Tish called me up and goes, hey, something's going on. Turn on the TV. It's like, okay. Like, what's going on? She's like, I don't know. I was like, maybe a, an attack or something. It's like, okay. Turn on the TV. I'm flipping through the channels. And then I see, like, as I'm just commercials, this, 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 this. I see the Twin Towers. That's all I see is Twin Towers. And then right when I turned it on, the second plane flew through. And I was like, whoa, that's awesome. Thought it was a premiere. Thought it was a trailer. For a oh. It's like, whoa, that's fucking crazy. That's awesome. And then I was like, I flipped through a, a couple more. And then I, another one. See, and I was like, oh, shit. That just happened. This is actually happening right yeah. now. And then as soon as the, as soon as the, I saw that, I was like, this is the thought that went through my mind that very moment. America's never going to be the same after this. The world is never going to be the same after this. And it wasn't wasn't. like after that, you had this pseudo bullshit patriotism. That was really a fear-based response. We got to get the bad guy. Oh, they did fiercely. And they showed all the footage of it. Mm -hmm. And we were all glued to the TV watching all these bombs and military just swarm i can't remember where they went iran iraq 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 they went to iraq just swarmed them there was nobody in iraq there was no reason to go to iraq it's just we had to retaliate against something right uh, osama was in what well, they had a plan they had a plan to go yeah, to iraq. they were they wanted to go to iraq anyway this was a catalyst for them to do it so they started talking about wmds yeah yep. and i'm i'm sitting here going wait a minute saddam didn't have shit to do with this there's, no, like you can talk WMDs all you want. This guy, Osama and his crew flew two planes in orbit. What the, why aren't we putting the whole of the American military in Afghanistan or wherever this guy is and just blowing it off the fucking map? Why are we going to Iraq? Yep. A million people died over there. See, I think Ukraine's the same way. Yeah. A million a people, a million people died in the Middle East because of the war on terror. What's the terror then? You know, there's there was thousands of people killed. Well, Keone, they keep it away from our land. It doesn't come here. So yeah, it's it's oil, right? It's, it's oil. oil. You have yep. you have you have these vast archaeological artistic pieces destroyed. You have a whole region thrown into chaos. You have kids getting bombed with drone strikes, all in the name under the guise of patriotism. And 
you spend trillions of dollars of American taxpayer dollars do it. You you have the Fed print off a bunch of money that doesn't exist. So our billions, our trillions, trillions. And our kids, our kids are enslaved. They yep. don't know it. They don't even know what why their dollars their kids. don't go there. Their kids, everybody's kids, yeah. forever. And I I've never felt the same vibe. I felt like the eighties were a peak. Nineties, I agree. The nineties were pretty awesome. Yep, nineties were fun. People were it's starting good. to lose it a little bit. And then everybody was so, remember the millennium? Oh, the millennium. Yep. We're going to, we're going to be one of the, we're going to be so rare that we're going to see the year 2000 and then, and then September 11th, 2001. And it's all been downhill. And we had Y2K. Yeah. Which seemed, which ended up being one of the biggest fucking jokes I've ever seen. There's all, if you look at the cloud bought an entire semi load of paper because if all the electronics were down, we needed paper. So they had an entire semi full of paper. Copy paper. I remember thinking that was nuts. But they were just one company of how many that probably did those yeah. kind of things? Yeah. And, and what was it? Fear. Yeah. There's complete all, if fear. If you look at the calendar of major world events, there's always been something reported in the media that's caused a huge amount of fear. And when September 11th happened, it gave fear for 10 years. Yep. It gave anti-Islamic fear for 10 years. It gave anti-Middle Eastern sentiment for 10 years. And now, 20 years after the fact, we lose Afghanistan. We, we we potentially could lose Iraq. Yep. So all of that American service people dying, all of those For Iraqi nothing. citizens dying, all of those trillions of dollars spent in the economic repression that probably is part of the reason of why our people are so fucked right now, nothing. So that a lot of wealthy politicians invested yep. in defense contract in the industrial military complex can make a lot of money. It blows my mind now as the the kid living in the utopian dream to be an adult and go who's recognizing these borders yeah why do we still have isms that people base their entire life on why are yep. like capitalism in to totality doesn't work no communism in totality doesn't no. work anything that follows with an ism is just an idea set not an absolute way of life and instead of having an educated populace that looks at all of these things how can we find this balance of ideas that actually works for our culture we just go, I'm right, you're wrong, fuck you. Ever since 9-11, 60% of the populace, I think, would identify as moderate, and then everybody slowly leaned out towards the left. But they were the fringe. Extremism was a bad thing. But how'd they get so powerful? What, who? The extremists. Why do they have such a loud voice these days? Um, I mean, they have such so, a loud voice. Social media. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know, I don't... I don't even know if I believe that extremists are the majority, but you, if you listen to I don't think the they voice, are. If, you, if you paid attention to what you see in social media, you would think that they're yeah. the majority because they talk the loudest. Dara said this, the people that talk the loudest. And, yep. But the point is, it used to be a, a really repugnant thing to be called an extremist. Now people are proud that they're far left. Yep. Now there's people that say that they're conservative, that say that, like when you say that you're MAGA, when you say that you're like, there's people now on social media that say I'm proud MAGA, which is make America great right. and Trump's thing. So you're pledging allegiance to an acronym from one guy. Yep. Do you not see the inherent problem there uh -huh. where you're pledging allegiance to an acronym for one guy? And then, and then on the flip side, on the left, you have people going, MAGA is a huge threat to the country and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, there there's a lot, huge portion of the country that are these people. Yeah. And I don't think that they're fascists or a huge threat. No. I think that if you are so arrogant that you believe 
your ideas unequivocally are better than other people's up to and including the point that you could, you could, if you would literally ship them out of the country, you're a threat to liberty. Very much Extremism so. Extremism on both sides is a threat to liberty. And now you have like all of our political sphere, the, the president, even Biden saying stuff like MAGA is a threat. Anybody who supports MAGA or, or the Republican Party is a, a fascist threat to like you're a unifier. They did nothing but four years beat up on that man. Yeah, you're the leader. Four years of all you ever saw in the news. I don't think we well, ever heard anything else. Well, we we had at that point created such a victim culture. Like you, you see the girl or the lady that like when Trump got elected is going. Yeah. Ah, that, that meme. That's pathetic. Very pathetic. Grow the fuck up. Yep. Be a be a be an adult for Christ's sakes. That is a perfect like representation example of the, the mental victim, breakdown yeah the victim culture where you're so you've been so wronged that you didn't get your participation trophy you know they said that so right when somebody will share a story on on facebook about well, i was at walmart and i felt so uncomfortable blah blah and then you have people going well, why didn't you do something why don't you call them out on it why don't you go get an employee why don't you call for a manager why, why are you just sharing this story what, what did you do to, to make this person not want to do it again nothing you played the victim yeah now, I'm not asking you to put yourself in a situation you're not comfortable with or you feel, un- but say, don't be the victim. And I've said it to my son over and over. I said, you can't be the victim in life. You can't be a victim. Yeah. It, shit happens to all of us, man. Yeah. either going to, if you're going to be a victim, you're going to drag that along with you the rest of your life. Get over it. Yep. You know, I look at 2020 now as what? What do you mean? I don't know. It's over. I'm still dealing with some of this shit, but I'm not a victim. I'm yeah. over. And if it happens again, which I have a feeling it probably is, I'll just deal with that one again too. Well, and that's the, the, I think that's why we have a victim culture. When you talk about entitlement and victim, I think victim culture ties hand in hand with, with the mental health epidemic. But Big time. When you have a, a populace of people with the amount of opportunity that we have, with the amount of entitlement, with the amount of handout, they've never dealt with anything. Nobody that's really alive right now has ever really dealt with some real shit. And I don't no. mean that on a personal level because everybody's dealing with their own shit they on were, a personal level. They were level. young when they were at 9-11 happened. Yeah. I have people in my gym that were born after born. Y2K. Yeah. So they weren't there for that. They came into this, this shit storm of... of uh, Social media. Yeah. Internet. Yeah. But Maybe. here's my point. World War II. Nobody's seen any shit like that. No. The Great Depression, the last great economic depression in the United States where people are in soup lines. There are very few proportionate amount of people on this earth right now that lived through the Great Depression, that lived through World War II. So you have a detachment from what reality can actually be. You have people that have lived, the the baby boomer generation, without any real social strife, really, really hard, nasty shit going, and this is the pervasive thought, going, that'll never happen. That could never happen because it's never happened in my day. I got news for you. If something does happen, like an asteroid falls out of the fucking sky. Which has happened. There's not going to be anybody going to pick up the the pieces for you. If the infrastructure of fuel and electricity breaks down, we could be relegated to tribes within a few decades. Didn't we feel that during the ratio? Of course. You were on your own. Yeah. You know, I went and got ice from one of our restaurants. Like you had the restaurants, but the ice was slowly dying. You know, we were able to keep our stuff cold. We were able to get a generator, keep our refrigerators cold. We were able to get some gas from somebody. I mean, but that wasn't like there was generators there and there was gas. Exactly. Like, yeah. If that shit doesn't come, people are so detached. 
They're fighting over toilet paper during COVID. They don't even know why. So right now, what would you, right now, if you had no toilet paper supply at all, what would you do? Scrub my ass. Yeah. You get some water if yeah. I had water. Yeah. You know? Get uncomfortable. Does some some uh, foreign people use their hand? Yeah. And then they wash their hands. Wash their hands. Yeah. Um, you could you could take a, a rag and cut it in four pieces and throw it away or launder it. Yeah. Yeah. So you still launder diapers all the time. You had a door service where people brought diapers to your house. Or, but there's a detachment, now. right? Like yeah. There's a detachment from the reality. The baby formula strike. All of a sudden, next thing you know, well, how'd grandma, how'd grandma feed their kids when, when there's no baby formula? Well, it's a pretty simpler formula. Well, what it was was all these babies that were having problems that needed the formula. Mm-hmm. My son needed special formula. You know, they gurgle and have that gird and all that stuff. So yeah. you need that special stuff. So I get that. But the 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 panic was there. Well, you have to be able to provide your family on your own. Re- be resourceful. Yes. People aren't resourceful. No. Anymore. No. No. They're, they're losing that. And you're like... I see that with the younger generation. They don't even want to order their own food because they're so detached. I can't stand ordering online with a food. I, I, I have never had food delivered that's DoorDash or nothing. Like, just, well, just don't do it. I, 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 I've seen it done. I've done it. I can do it. I got no problem with it. But like, I, what I have a problem with is if you're going to order food and there's no online availability and I go, oh, just call it in. And, and a young person my daughter's age goes, no, it's, it's right. <laughs> you're going to go hungry? You're going to go hungry because you, you got to talk to a person? Yeah. What the fuck are you going to do when shit breaks down? Die. Yep. That's what you're going to do. Yep. Like, it's just, and I, like, people don't like to face the reality of what could be and what eventually will be. Yeah. And that's the thing that worries me is like, our society, whether it's westernized society or American society, if you look at the end of empires, historically speaking, we, we fit all the triggers. Oh, we are right Every there. Every single one. We're, we're knocking on the door of complete. We've got 240, 240, 50 years. Uh, most of them don't go more than 200 years and they collapse. Well, if you look at what the way that this country was founded historically, and you look at where it's at now, oh, it's, it's pretty easy to see because you have people begging for tyranny. Those same victims, the same victim mindset that would have us go, guns are so bad. We need to ban guns. Who's going to pick them up, honey? Who's going to go collect them? You? What? Oh, no. You're going to you're gonna send people with guns to pick, to pick those guns up yep. so that you yep. don't have to yep. pick those guns up, right? So you feel safer. And you feel powerful. And you feel some kind of virtue until the people that go pick up the guns are the only people with guns. And then you can taste their boot when they step on your neck. Oh, that would never happen in today's day and age. Oh, Bet bullshit. Me. It sure will. We have evidence all around us of what power does. And you want to sit and... It's happening now. Yeah, of course. But it's like, that. that's what I feel like 9-11 did. 9-11 sent everybody to, not everybody, but a lot more people to the fringe. And what social media did, which was right involved right after 9-11, is it gave everybody a big microphone. Most that's of them true. didn't deserve it. You that's know? true. You have some of the people talking the loudest now. That would have been the kooks out on the corner just having people laugh at them. Yeah, dude, you're fucking the you Bible know, preachers. Lunatic. Yeah. Like yep. in the, the irony is those guys that used to ha- hold the signs that say the end is near. Yep. I kind of believe them now. Right. They, they are, they're holding more water than they used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, realistically, you're never supposed to know. Because in all reality, life just carries on and just transitions to the next generation, next this and next that. You know, some gen- generations leave great, some leave terrible, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, talk about 
World Wars, you know, I have a, a grandfather that fought in World War One, Korea, and Vietnam. Damn. He was a fighter pilot. Um, no, not a fighter pilot. He was a pilot. I don't think he was a jet guy. But um, apparently, you know, when you talk to grandpa, oh, crashed three planes. Stuff <laughs> happened, you know. Yeah, this, and the stories behind him are bizarre. And and uh, but he would never tell you much more. And couldn't find out after his death. He he got on bombing missions, and and one of those crashes was shot down. And you know, but to him, no, just a distinguished military man. And he dealt with it and got over it. I have one of my grandmas was a Rosie the Riveter. We have her toolbox. She used to climb in commercial planes, private planes, in the wings and the work on them. the steel. Yeah. So I mean, that generation they they literally worked to support their country during war. What, what does anyone do now to support their country during war? No, they well, in the, there. That's the thing is. We aren't really at war. We're not. We're not engaging in no. just wars. Correct. We, we've lost our sense of values, and so now when the government comes and says, "Hey, there's an enemy that we created using foreign policy and the CIA over the last thirty years," we yep. go, "Oh, okay, yeah, like yep. uh, the stars and stripes, right? Yeah, go yep. USA." And then create an economically repressed populace that needs to join the military to even go to school. Yep. And most of them, like I've had people that come out of the military and they're like, you know, a lot of people are going to the military. They're undereducated people that need this as their only way I out. A lot. I thought that was a historic kind of thing, though. Maybe, like, maybe it was. I can't get a job. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm also going to the military. But you know what? Like I, I, based on what my grandpa told me and based on what a lot of people told me, it used to be a, a true national pride thing. It like, was a pride thing. I'm going to enlist in the military because I believe in this movement yep. and I believe in the protection of liberty from this cause. Now it's economic. But it all started with Vietnam where uh, we're fighting a war we shouldn't be fighting. Yep. And everyone's kind of changed and people started thinking. You know, I have some diehard, uh, I'd say military people that would tell you right now that if the draft ever came and their son was drafted, he would, he would flee with his son. Name oh. a just war since World War II. Can't. There isn't one. Nope. They've all been involved in it's some kind of ideology or some kind of government situation. Actually, I don't think there's been a day we haven't been at war. There isn't. There hasn't. We've always been That's engaged fucking in ridiculous. some kind of thing. In that, when you start looking, and, and we're start, a country of peace. You just, well, no, no. We've always been at war, and you right? start following the money, and you know why. You know why? It's not because we're the world's policemen. When we were kids, you heard this all the time. We are not the world's policemen. Yep. We're the United yep. States. We have to do this. We have to do we that. We are going to make the example. We're going to set the example. Well, then why are we always fucking blowing shit up? Why can't we leave people alone? Why are we so scared if we're so virtuous in where we stand? Exactly. You know, like it's, I think a lot of symbolism has been bastardized. And like the forefathers said, if, you know, essentially to this point, if that flag doesn't represent what it represented when we put it up, take it down, yeah. replace it with something else. Or, or not. in this day and age, in my opinion, don't replace it. We don't need symbolism anymore. No. We need people that are, that are sharing ideas. In principles, yep. not not putting out gang signs and colors. When you look at the Republican and the Democrat Party and the 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 bipartisan divide in this country, you're looking at a gang fight. Pretty much, you're looking at blue versus red, yep. donkey versus elephant, elephant, left versus right. Like it couldn't be more polarized for an obvious way. And now you have like people haven't understood or grasped the historical context. Right now, if you ask most Americans. What do people identify the right with? They would say things like racism, guns, 
guns. Prejudice, racist. They would. (laughs) And if you were a realist, if you rewind the clock and you get in a time machine and you go back and you go, hey, what would you identify with the Democratic Party in the 1800s? They'd go, founders of the KKK, racists. They've completely changed their yep. ideology through the generations. Yep. But when people die, they forget. They That yep. information doesn't get passed down. So like they just keep flip-flopping. If you look at the election process for the executive branch, it's like you get four years of this guy. And if he does a shitty, shitty job, you get four years of the next guy. And then the public opinion sways of that guy by yep. the end. And then they want to try the other guy again. But nobody wants to try a Ross Perot. Nobody wants to try no. a Ron Paul. No. They just want to stick with the status quo so that they can get involved in this online argument and pretend to be virtuous. It's like, you're, you're all wrong. I'll say it. You're all, all wrong. wrong. Yep. I've been asking a question to myself since I was a little kid and to a lot of people since then. And it's this question. Why do we need political parties in 2022? What's your answer to that question? Why, do, why does the human species, why do American citizens, why does anybody need to we don't. label themselves or identify with we a don't. political party? Fair enough. They've just designed it to be that way so they have control. And I, it's a part of my identity, Yeah. right? Like, shouldn't part of your identity be in a human being, maybe? Yeah. And just like putting down the labels and the words. It's like, like who are you? What do you do for a job? What do you do for a living? What's your education? And what do you believe in this? And then throw religion in there. That's how I'm going to define you. Mm -hmm. What? I'm way more than that. What do you want out of life? Yeah. Uh, Life, liberty, love, and uh, uh, the wealth or the prosperity of your family. Huh. Me too. Yeah. I think pretty much everybody. Can we all just work on the same page? There's not a lot of lunatics and homicidal maniacs in the world that that are trying to jihad everybody. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that is a minority. So maybe if we just drop the labels and the bullshit, we can come together as a global community like we have been already for a century. The only thing that's been dividing people is ideas. And, and suckers used to be born every minute. Now it's every second. Dude, it's unbelievable. Suckers. Unbelievable. So um, uh, really what, I'm, what we got together to talk about. So originally, this is all great conversation. But when you reached out to me, I'd shared a story. Yep. I'd shared a story about um, a lady that came into the gym. And I've never met her before. And she she immediately started breaking down. And I was like, you know. And I was talking to Biggie out there on the, on the floor and I went around and I gave her a hug. I'm like, what's going on? And she told me that her son had taken his own life and she was donating a bunch of his stuff to the gym. He's a very passionate martial artist. And did you know him? I did not. Okay. His name was Chad. And, um, I wish I would have, I know his last name. I wish I'd remember it now so I could honor him, but, um, tell his story a little bit. He had played football. He had wrestled in her thought was that maybe he had CTE. Mm-hmm. And this is something that the combat sports community and, and the football players and, and sports in general are just now coming to terms with, but <clears throat> repetitive concussive head trauma. Yep. And I've had a concussion before. So have I. I've had multiple so actually. I. And I've also had a concussion after I knew about CTE well after it. And I was smart enough to stop competing and start sparring hard before I think I took too much damage. But right. There were times where I would get a concussion and I'd just be like, depressed. And after I learned about CT and this trauma, I went, Oh shit. Like, I know why I feel this way. I got hit in the head really hard yesterday. I have a concussion and I'm depressed. What was so interesting to me about it is didn't matter that I knew 
I knew the source of the depression didn't help my depression. No, I'm sitting here going, fuck. Okay. Like I'm a second behind in my mind. My, my brain is off. I know why I yeah. feel down, but there ain't shit I can do about it. I'm just depressed. Yep. Like I have to wait for this concussion to heal and get over it. And that's it. There's some people that have this syndrome where it doesn't go away. Doesn't go away. Where that depression stays. And so her, her synopsis was that he probably through football, through wrestling, and then through, through potentially more training had CTE to a, a point that he ended up taking his own life. Well, the, the tragic, the tragedy even furthered itself. So I'm sitting here going, man, I, I can feel the pain coming off this woman. She buried her child. Like this is, this is something nobody would ever want to even think about. Like, I don't know how I could live. Yeah, I know. You know. I like to think I'm a tough person and I like to think of this, you know, hoorah, find a reason to live, find a reason to be inspired. And I like to think that if one of my children passed, I would want to live and change the world in their memory. But it'd be really hard. It'd be tough, man. It'd be really, really hard. It'd be right? really tough losing a child. Um, then I found out this was her third. The third one that she lost? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Is, did she only have three kids? I, I She didn't elaborate. She just oh said this is the Lord. third child that I've had to bury. And I was just like, oh my God. Like... There's levels. So he's had previous loss himself. He's had previous <laughs> loss. She has previous loss. And the 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 idea of of a parent, a, a good person, and and a parent losing three children is just inconceivable to me. Like I, if I lost a child, it would leave a hole in me. But if I lost both of my kids, I don't know. Empty. It'd be hard for me to like just honestly not kill myself. That's to be completely honest, right? I feel completely that way. So um, when I when I re, when I put this guy's story out there and this woman's story out there, there's a reminder because I've dealt with suicide. I had a couple of my students have, have taken their lives over the year. One of them was very close to me um, named Seth McElroy. And it changed me losing him because I had just spoken to him the, a couple of days before. And we talked about his goals and he was motivated. Ready to go. Ready yeah. To go. Yeah. And two days later he was gone. And I was like, it hit me a little bit. Like it, it, it took me back to that place and it made me realize what we're dealing with in the modern age with mental health and people feeling so unfulfilled. The saddest thing to me, one of the saddest ideas to me, and it's always been sad ever since I was a kid and I've dealt with my own depression and I've had my, my very close call. The saddest idea is that in the amazing opportunity that is life, somebody feels so little reason to live yeah that they decide to end it prematurely that is just the saddest thing to me you reached out to me and i want you to share your experience why you reached out to me in that moment and, and kind of what you have to say about it so i, I thought about that because um i think i reached out for several reasons one is is i like your thinking mm -hmm. um i like your spiritual spiritualness uh i know you've dealt with some of this you're a tougher guy um so that's all subjective. <clears throat> yeah, true. But you know, you are. And uh as that was who my brother was. Mm -hmm. And uh it's always been a strength, or it's been comforting with me around someone stronger, mm -hmm. you know, someone mightier. And uh I don't have that anymore. And I thought I just need to talk to killing you. I don't, I don't know why, dude. It just mm -hmm. hit me. I remember I thought, man, he's busy. I should just leave him alone and they got to stop by the gym and, and just see him, but and I know you're busy. And, and so I just reached out and, and, uh, um, when, you know, just get, get this moment to where I could just talk to you about it, you know, 
um, I was the same way when, you know, first happens, my brother, you know, you get over it or you, you know, it's life, right. But it's, it's hit me harder in different areas. I never ex expected it to hit. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's new to me. You know, you've gone through depression of, you know, I've been divorced twice. And I always said that was basically a loss. I had death. You know, yeah, I lost part is. of me. You yeah. know, it was terrible. I never, I never wanted anyone to go through that in their life. And, uh, but they're still here. I still talk to them. You know, I still have good relationships with them. I can still talk to them. I can still ask some questions. Mm -hmm. Can't this one, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and we have a lot of, we don't have a lot of answers. You know, it's really surreal when you walk into your brother's house and you have to dispose of his bloody bed and his headboard from a bullet wound in it. It really changes a person. You, you stay strong through the moment, dude. And, you know, he, he killed himself with a headshot. And I thought, and they were talking about an open casket. And I thought, well, then this must not have been too bad. You know, did he, did he braze his head? You know, and I also thought when we had to clean up the house, I thought, am I going to deal with brain matter? Because, you know, you see the movies like we talked about, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, this is going to be terrible. Who's going to handle this in the family? You know, and um, thank God I have a very strong sister. But it wasn't like that. There was the, the blood on the bed, what it reminded me of was, being crude, a woman had a menstrual cycle middle of the night. You know, it's just blood on a bed, really. If I didn't think about that was his head, you know, it's just blood on a bed. We've all seen it, we've all experienced it. Um the the brain matter on the headboard, not much. It was looking at the bullet when they carved the bullet out. That was surreal. And that didn't hit me, you know. Um, I'm not going to go in detail of, of the whole story because there's a lot we don't know, but my brother's house was tear gassed before they went in. The police were, were involved in the whole situation. Mm. So <clears throat> that particular day, my, my brother and we see each other videos back and forth and he can really talk some days. Some days I can really talk. And this one particular day I had so much going on. I said, Hey dude, don't, don't send me videos all day long. Cause I can't be checking my phone and don't turn to stick. We'll just talk later tonight. So it's like 6.45, he sends me a video. We've both been working on losing weight and stuff. And and uh, he, he sends me a video. He's like, yeah, I hit 204 today. And uh, you can tell he's on his front porch, you know. And uh, someone else later on the evening around 7.30, so 45 minutes later, drove by and saw him on his porch and waved like they normally did, okay. By 9.45, he was dead. You know, I don't see anything in that video. I've only watched the video once since. I'm going to watch it again. It's just kind of tough to watch the video, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and now I kind of want to, now when I look at it, I'm like, am I missing something? So it's like I'm, I'm, just, I'm just breaking every detail apart. His face mannerisms, his voice. And I, I just, I can't do that. Um, and the thing is, 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 is uh, it's a surreal moment. It's a moment where, you have to raise rise to the occasion and, and you just have to take care of what's in front of you with his family. And, and you, and he's got three beautiful, wonderful daughters that are amazing that need more support now. Um, you know, and it also made me think about, you made a point of this that upon death, I mean, he's done every possession he has, everything that is part of him is nothing. And it was interesting when you brought the whole gun thing, uh, my dad and I were upset they took all of his guns. Even the one he used when to take his life. We're upset. And we want those guns back. Even the one he used. Doesn't matter. It's a tool. He could have used a hammer in his, in his shed and I still would have kept his hammer. 
you know, and, and, um, will you get those back? Do you know? We don't know. We, we do know that the police, um, have said very firmly that we were just there for a search warrant. We were just there for a search warrant. Um, but they have said that this could take four to six months, mm -hmm. um, to toxicology report, all that's going to take forever to do. Um, and they've got his phone and they have the gun, they have other different things that they haven't even looked in yet, you know? And what happened was, <clears throat> uh, Fortune was staying the night at my girlfriend's house cause I, I turned my phone off at night and she wakes me up and says, your sister's on the phone, something's going on with your brother. And from that point on till 3.30 in the morning, I was, I had her phone and my phone and I had neighbors that I knew messaging me that they're talking about tear gas in the house and megaphones and whole ball of wax. And, you know, my whole family's located, they all, cause my whole family's in this town. So they went to the church, one of the churches up the street and they got everything barricaded off. They won't let my dad talk to him. They won't let the girls go see him, you know, and let this last until 3.30 in the morning until they went in. He'd been dead for six hours. And I actually talked to the police chief on scene at about three o'clock in the morning. And I asked him, I said, he said, there's three shots fired. I said, okay. And uh, I said, anything after that? He said, no. I said, well, what's, what's the problem then? I said, are you hearing anything? He said, we're not hearing anything. We haven't heard anything for hours. I said, that's bullshit. He's got four yippy dogs. There's no way those yippy dogs are not doing something. Something's seriously up here. And shortly after that, they went in. Um, the dogs, the poor dogs, had been tear gassed. So here's my here's my sweet nieces at four in the morning taking these four puppies to get them cleaned up from tear gas. I mean, it's a it was a it's a it's a, it's out of the mind moment. Yeah. To where all you can do is just be strong, get through it, and cry later. You know, um, the CTE, he was a football player. He played hard. He was a quarterback. I know he was running back in high school. Uh, he played uh, linebacker as well. He was always getting concussions. Yeah. Uh, he played two years of college ball. I remember watching him run over these huge guys. And he even told me one day, he said, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to be done with my football career. I'm like, why? He goes, you see how huge those guys are? That hurts when I hit them. It doesn't look like it. Looks like he just runs them right over. Yeah. You know? So you know he's taking that that mental pain. Over and over. Yeah. And, over. and back then, even, oh, I got a concussion, man. Ooh, I hit hard. Get back in the game. Yeah, let's go back in there. You know, you'll be a little fuzzy, you'll be okay. And I watch, I used to watch guys on the football team. I'd be like, dude, you're not, you're not there. And yeah. then off we'd go back in. Yeah. And I, I and I wanted to reach out and ask when when his body was at Ames if they would do a test on CTE. Yeah. I I, I didn't. I didn't know really how to go about it. And maybe maybe it's now. Maybe it's more standard now because well, they can't tell you until to. you're dead, right? Like in a, in a situation like my dad died really suddenly and unexpectedly. And my mom, with the way that their religion is, they, they have to bury them in like within two days and there's no embalming or anything like that. I know. I thought that process was really interesting. Yeah. And so I, I was like, you know, mom, dad was healthy. Like, I know, I don't know if you thought about it, but I would have liked to known as his progeny. <laughs> If maybe there's a real defective heart situation yes. going on yep. and she's like, oh, well, I didn't even think about it. And of course, because it's, it's a, it's an incredibly stressful time. So oh, yeah. those, those decisions in that moment kind of just slip by you because you're going through this trauma. Yep. Right. So, um, how did you, how did you learn? How did you find out that your brother was gone? 
And what was that? What was that moment like? Because when I, when I, when I found out, it's not the same circumstance, but when I found out that my dad was gone, um, I had heard stories about how like you, you just give out at the knees and you get weak and you lose all strength and you like, that's what happened with me. As soon as I like really knew we were out in the middle of North Dakota somewhere going to the Rockies in Canada. That's and right. I, you were out of town. Yeah. And, and I had just left. So I'd, I'd given my dad a hug. We stopped over there intentionally to give him a hug. Give him a hug. And then I left. And then eight hours later, I got this call from my brother. And I just, I knew. Like, right when I heard my brother's voice, I knew something bad had happened. And so, but when I actually, like, reasoned with it, when I knew, when I talked to my mom and she said he wasn't breathing and he was starting to get cold and that's how she found him, I just knew. I knew there was nothing that was going to be done. And, like, yep. when it when it sank into my bones, I just felt like everything came out of me. You know what I mean? Like some, it's almost some essence or spirit in me was slipping away. And like, when you, when you learned, how did you learn that you were sure? When was that definitive moment? And what, like, what was that process like? I was sure the second after I talked to the police chief. Yeah. I knew he was gone. You were on the scene there? No, I was in Cedar Rapids. Okay. And I just remember thinking with what he told me, there's no way he's just still inside that home alive. There's just no way. I got thinking, how'd he do it? Maybe maybe took some oxy because he had shoulder surgery. You know, maybe OD'd and and you know if he OD'd, get in there. You know, narc narc him. Let's yeah. get him, let's get him okay. Um, you know, why would he shoot only three times and then and then that was it? No, he'd go out the blaze of glory if he's that pissed off. You know, so it, it, it's weird. So I was already I was how do I say it? Through the losses I've had through life, mm -hmm. I've been I've gotten pretty pretty prepared for a loss. I didn't crumble. Um, when he died, I cried, hugged my girlfriend. And uh, I remember I made a stiff drink. Uh, I thought it's 3 in the morning and I had a couple drinks and about 5, 5.30, I started making phone calls. I started calling aunts and uncles and, and close friends. And, and it didn't even dawn on me it was 5.30, 6 in the morning. It yeah. didn't dawn on me. I just want these people to know. I need, I needed, I need people that family knew, need to know what's going on so we can make plans and you know, this is something I focused on that. And then I went to bed. I was tired. I was exhausted. Yeah. And I woke up at noon and I, I knew I had to, had to pack and, and go. And I've never, I've never been able to not pack. I couldn't pack. I just grabbed shorts, shirts. I didn't know if we were going to have a funeral when I was going to be back. So I grabbed some dress clothes. I mean, I wasn't prepared at all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had, I had to go to my girlfriend's house, get my suitcase. And, and, uh, um, it just, you know, I, it, uh, it, I think it's like through a loss I've had, it always hits me after in ways I didn't, didn't know or didn't see. Mm -hmm. Um, I, 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 I fortunately have had some, 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 uh, I experienced something very young when I was very young, that was very tragic that I didn't know about for a long time. And it helped me build a wall. I didn't always like having that wall. But that wall has really paid off over the years. It's it's kind of helped me be strong through things. Um, open, I, I put the wall down. Before the wall would just be a done deal. Now I'm able to lower the wall and and deal with more emotions and feelings through it. But put that wall up when it gets to be too much. Um, he's a daily reminder. And that's what's tough is, you know, I don't get those videos anymore. I can't get in, argue with my mom and call him, you know, I can't, you know, 
have a bad have a bad session in court, kicking out a tenant and call him because he he's been in court many times with different tenants and stuff. You know, we both can share off each other and and you just lo- use it, you lose that outlet. So then it comes back as being selfish. Mm-hmm. And I've always said loss is so selfish because you should be celebrating that they're in a better place. And and instead you're you're being depressed and sad because of what you don't have anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have that anymore. That's correct, but I, I need to adjust. And if I want to be sad and depressed for a little while over that, I think that's fine. I think that's part of dealing with loss. It's human nature. But not for a long time. Yeah. You know, I started my weight loss journey in January and I, and I really didn't do it on purpose. I I, I hated fluctuating in the winter. I, I, I would always sit 200 above and it sucked. It was a fat guy. And, and I, I want, and I'm getting shorter. So, you know, when you're sh- getting shorter and you're, and you're fatter, you look fatter. And I, I hit 217 in January and I thought, okay, this something's going on. And I talked to my doctor and I realized I was kind of seasonal, seasonal depressed. Depression. Yeah. And I, I said, I think you're right. So I got in just a little dose of some meds and, and they say, no, man, you know, film better, focus better. Um, I didn't change a whole lot of habits. I drank less, so I consume I consume less alcohol and less soda, which mm-hmm. obviously helps Huge. with your weight. Yeah, uh, I was I was wanting to drink more water. You know, these things just naturally happen because I'm feeling better, and my weight just started coming off. And then um, my brother, and so we decided it was going to be a thing between us because he. Uh, I don't know if you know much about the testosterone pellets. I, I know about them. They're quite amazing. Yeah. So he got on them. And he was starting to really lose some weight and he's back to working out. I mean, this guy was, this is what's so crazy about this. He was so happy. He calls me, he sends me a video one day. He's like, man, I was tearing up on the treadmill. He goes, cause I haven't been able to be on a treadmill for years cause of my knee and my body. He goes, with well, this, just, my body just feels amazing. Yeah. Feel you know? again. Yeah. And, he's, and he was, he was on a cloud nine. So for him to, to hit the mountain and then just crash, is just crazy for me, you know? And it also tells me it can happen to anybody. It can happen yeah. to me. It can happen to you. Yeah. You know. And they say, "Well, just call someone." I thought about that the other day. Just call somebody. What do you want to talk about? That, I, that I'm sad. I think what a call does is it stops you from doing it in the moment. Right. You're not going to not be sad after the phone call. You just aren't going to eat a bullet. Yeah. You know. I think it is important to let people know that it's okay to feel bad and shitty, but reach out to somebody. Yeah. You know. Um, and then, and then establish the root cause if there's yeah. a root cause and try to deal with that root yeah. cause. Yeah. Yep. Do you find that for me, like grief is like almost like ripples in a pond where at first it's this cataclysmic shock and then your, your mind deals with it a little bit. If it can, if you can say that, like you, you kind of reason with it and then you're like, okay, like I've reasoned with it. And then some really inconspicuous thing will take place or some, yep. some phone call that doesn't come or a video that doesn't come. And then it's like <laughs> right back again. And what I found and what I've likened it to with people is the ripples get less intense and they get further apart yep. as time goes by, but they always come back. And yep. like there's times even with my father passing, he's been gone now four years and I expected him to live another 10 or 15 years. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, he wasn't that old. No, and he was he was in really good shape. Um, where I'm like, yeah, you know, you've you've dealt with it and you've reasoned with it and you've grieved, and now, you know, 
you're in a happy place and you've kind of let it go and then some shit will go down and it's just like boom right into you and it takes your breath away and that it might not be as intense as it was for me in that moment but it connects me to that moment and it fundamentally changes who you are as a person you know what i mean like i don't know if you can relate to this but I had told myself that I had approached manhood and and been a man for a long time, you know, and made decisions. And I, I really don't think that I was really a man. I think I'd grown. I think I had, a, 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 you know, I had developed, but I don't think I was a man, man until my dad left the world. And when he left and I felt like it was now the onus was on me to take care of my family yep to to be the source of wisdom that he was that was like i was stepping into these huge shoes and the whoever i was before you know like i was there was times when i was kind of a womanizer very superficial yep we're just gone and i somehow just like yep. embraced his spirit and and it had, it had fundamentally changed me do you feel that same way i or do can I you feel, identify with if, that yeah i realized uh right after the funeral i'm i'm, I'm, I'm down since my dad's basement and my mom and dad's basement. I'm looking at something that my brother was eventually going to get. I thought, fuck, everything goes to me now. Mm. And there's things I don't want. Yeah. And, and, there, and there are responsibilities I never thought I would have. And I don't necessarily know if I want these responsibilities. I'm, I'm the eldest boy now. That's a big deal in our family. Yeah. You know? And I thought, this, this kind of sucks. You know, I've never shied away from being a leader or, or taking command. But, you know, as I've gotten older, I've just, I've, just, I've decided on what I want to do and what I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and in this one, you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, that was surreal hitting that moment. And I remember I said that to my sister and she said, it was funny. We always, we always, we always make funny stuff. She goes, well, if you don't want the grandfather clock, I'd really like that. And I said, you can have the grandfather clock. <laughs> but, but that's the thing that, you know, we can bring some humor in it. And, um, that's one thing we've always done is as a family is, is it's a sad, but we can find some laughter in it. That's good. And that's cathartic. And, and it, it is, it is. And that's one thing that I've always done in my entire life is I've used comedy as a way of dealing with my feelings. Um, you know, my funny guy, sure. I could be a funny guy, but I'm not a funny guy per se. I don't, you know, I'm not, I can't go to stand up and stuff like that. I'm just a funny guy when I'm around people, you know? Um, but I've used that as a, as a tool. And, and I think that's just, been a, a nice thing because when you laugh man you just you just feel good yeah and then, you know and the, i mean that's why tragedy and humor are yeah kind of they're so connected so you know? so much um and that kind of reminds me of a line from uh one of my favorite sinatra songs uh, uh my way when he talks about how at the end it's just gonna be hilarious and i'm just gonna laugh about the things that i thought were so serious essentially is the line but um so w- your brother how will your brother continue to live on through you and your family? Because um, he will. And yeah. I think that what you, taught, what you said about selfishness is key. Grieving can be seen somewhat as selfishness. Human nature, natural, necessary, of course. Yep. Um, but I also felt in my own grieving a deep sense of um, honor or responsibility in honoring the memory of yes. my lost one. So in that way, you know, I've, I'm a... I'm an information seeker. I'm a perspective seeker. I always have been. I've, I've really been hesitant to jump on the, the organized religion bandwagon. I've been really hesitant to say, I know this absolute truth about what happens after we die. 
The older I get, though, the more I see that there may be not too much of a difference between what science says and what spirituality says, and that afterlife is somewhat subjective, and there's still a lot of things that we don't know. But one thing that we absolutely know is when the physical body is gone, the spirit, whether you think that the spirit is an actual phantasm that you know ascends to an ethereal right. plane, or the spirit being the energy connection through their family, continues to reverberate into the the There's still eons. a spirit it's a spirit nonetheless yep. it's an energy and it's actually a measurable thing yep um how is how is your brother's life going to continue to flourish through you so i'm, I'm gonna keep losing weight staying healthy yep stay healthy um because i'd love i love bragging to him about it we, we both we both you know, I had a head, head start on him, so the bet was, you know, whoever loses the most at some point would buy dinner. And, and he laughed. He said, like, it's really even a bet. It's just for fun. I said, I know. So I'm going to keep doing it because I know he'd be, it'd be, make him proud. And, um, you know, just 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 helping his kids, mm -hmm. you know, his three daughters. I mean, I talked to his – I was going to work. I pulled in to get some food. She calls. And I end up sitting there for over an hour just talking to her. Good. And nothing could have mattered. I could have been, I could have missed an appointment. I still would have missed an appointment mm -hmm. because, you know, she's a young lady going through a lot. Yeah. And if they want their uncle Matt, they're going to get the uncle Matt. Bottom line. The same thing with my children, you know, and, um, and my brother would have done the same thing. So I, I feel that's, they're going to need that. Um, a couple of them really weighed heavy on dad. Yeah. Uh, one of them especially talked to dad every day, you know, and, she and she's even mentioned about how, you know, she relied heavily upon her dad, and she has me concerned, and I love her death, and so anything I can do to help her, I'm gonna do it. And mm -hmm. I, that's just he do it for me, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, other than that, I don't know. That's what's weird because I thought the same thing. Because when you die, it's like, you know, I know how he's being remembered. He's a good guy, and and uh, people liked him. And uh, he was involved in his, his girls' lives and involved in sports. And he did a lot of coaching. And uh, he was, uh, he was, he got into substitute teaching, was absolutely loving it. And, uh, you know, I think he's going to live on um, for sure. But it's, it's just, it's so, it's so, so surreal because it's all based on now what are you going to do with it? You know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember thinking, for example, um, my grandmother's Rosie the Riveter tools. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to get them. My brother ended up having them. Well, they're probably mine again now. And I'm like, Jiminy, Chris, I don't even want them anymore. You know, I'm going to send them out to the Rosie Riveter uh, museum that they have going on. You know, that's the kind of stuff that's surreal is that it's, it's not that big of a deal. So now when I don't get something I don't want, oh, big deal. I'll probably get it tomorrow when I really don't want it anyway. Isn't that interesting that like one thing that I think losing people does give you value in is just that. Yeah. It's just realizing how little material really is. I used to try to keep something so clean and it gets scratched your Nick and it was like the, the end of it. And I just go, oh, it's character. Yeah. You know? Maybe I'll have it 20 years and think back. That was stupid. I dropped that glass and it banged it's attached it. to a memory. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of being like, oh, it's such a crappy looking table. You know, I like to hang up things uh, that my family did and, and it's just comforting. You know, my, my great grandmother has this stitched weird it's not even a nice looking thing but it's my great grandma's <laughs> yeah. right yeah. and it doesn't even match anything but I, I have it there because it's hers it's hers yeah. you know I, I saw it on the wall in my grandparents house for for years and now it's on my wall it's a comforting thing mm -hmm. and um 
And I think I've always felt like my home needs to be my comfort. You know, I leave my home to go out to the world. That's not always comfort. There's a lot of shit going on. I can control what's going on here in my own comfort, whether I watch the TV show, it's the terrible and gonna make me depressed, or I listen to music, I read a book, or I clean, or I do some things that make me somewhat productive, or I just feel better. You know, I can control that. I can't necessarily control once I leave that that door. Mm-hmm. And so throw that in there too. And I'm just gonna try to live better. You know, I think that uh, you know, I've I've dealt with depression over the years, and I know my brother has. Um, I do know shortly before he he died he did mention he was depressed which he's never said to me in his, in his life that i am and he was actually reaching out to get some help and he couldn't understand himself mm-hmm. he said why am i even feeling this way he said i've I reached this point in life where i don't know why i'm feeling this way mm-hmm. and then not long after that it's just a done deal well you know th- that's that is indicative and that points to cte and what I can say is like when you, when you said uh, what you said about divorce, about how divorce feels like a death, that's exactly what it felt like to me. And when I've been at the lowest of the low, that's, that's you where were, I was at. I, I wasn't around directly when you went with that with Trish, but dude, I was going through my own at the same time. Yeah. And I can just fathom what you're going it through. Was, it was dark. Very it was, dark. It was, um, I, I was the, the worst I, I've told a couple people I haven't shared this but I think it should be shared the, the worst in the bottom of the barrel was me sitting in a basement looking up at a belt that I had hung up in the rafters of my parents house and um, coming so in so crazily close that people wouldn't believe me if I told them I, I miraculously survived yep and um, I, I came so close that I was almost reborn that night and I remember it clear as day. And um, it was so much of my divorce felt like a death. I don't know if it was because the, the person that I knew and grew up with was just not there. So like when you're married with somebody for you know 10 years or five years or whatever, it's not just the relationship, it's your habits. Yes. When I, when I wash the dishes, she's there. When, yep. I, when I do this function in life, She's there. She's a part of it. Somehow she's intrinsically attached to, to every single thing that I do. And then all of a sudden they're just not there. So every single thing that you do is a reminder that they're no longer yep. there and they feel very much dead. Now the, the irony is now Tish and I have a great relationship yep. and we're great friends and yep. we talk all the time and yep. we co-parent our, and we did it right. We, yep. we sat down and we made sure it was about the kids. But in that moment and for probably 12 to 18 months, I was just lost and I Big felt time. like she was, I felt like she had died and that a part of my soul had died. And I was so depressed that I was aware. I was aware of how depressed I was. And I was aware that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can get through this. It might take a year. It might take 18 months. It might take 24. It didn't feel like I'd ever get through it, but, but objectively and reasonably, yep. I knew that I would, but I was so fucking tired, man. That I didn't want to, you know, like I knew that I had to climb a mountain to get to that downhill to that, but I, it was yep. so exhausting to think about getting through that, that suicide came into my mind and it was just like, it would be easier to just end it than to trudge through the fucking, Again. the mountain of yep. shit. And so I, I can identify with that. And the, the tragedy of, of something like CTE is that you can look at it any different way and selfishly we can look at it and go, well, you're not here. And I, that, that hurts. But if the existence 
if, if somebody's existence was as miserable on the daily as mine was, and that I was only masking, it's almost a relief. It's almost a release in yep. some way for that person's pain. And, and that I can identify with. I do think that the, the gift of life is so precious that it should be protected at all costs. Yes. I think the tragedy of somebody who cannot find that happiness potentially chemically should be a cautionary tale for other people. Yep. But I can understand it. And um, it doesn't make it easier. No. But if it brings some understanding, maybe that will help in some way. And I, I really do think that um, we have a big problem in this country. I know it because I've lived through it now multiple times. My uncle's taken his own life. That was a very oh, so early an uncle. Yeah. I have a grandpa's uncle I never met took his life yeah. years and years ago. Well, the, 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 the <clears throat> strange thing about my uncle is um, I met my uncle Mark a couple times and he seemed like the, the black sheep kind of of the family, but he was a cool guy. He seemed really, really nice. And so he's down on his luck. Your dad's brother? My mom's, mom's brother. brother okay. yeah. He was down on his luck. And I, the story that I heard was that he went to the park and he was sitting on a bench and somebody came, you know, some father and son walked by him and the son like just said something really derogatory to towards him, you know, called him a dirty something or other. And he went into my grandma's house and hung himself. Wow. And I remember I was probably six or seven, maybe, maybe eight. And I got a call or we got a call on our rotary phone, you know, back in the day. And my mom picked it up and she started crying. And it was the weirdest thing because I didn't know that Mark was depressed. I didn't know that he was having issues. I yeah, you're six, seven years old. Yeah. But I knew that he died. Like right when she picked up the phone and started crying. You knew it was him. Some, I knew it was him. And I knew that he died somehow. Just some some kind of connection between my mom and me. Yep. And like I just knew it. So I, I dealt with that at a very early age. And then I've had, a, like I said, I've had students and I've known people along the way that have taken their own lives. And, and this is a real problem. We, we have a, we have, it's a, happening more and more yes. and more. We have a spiritual and a cultural problem. You know, and when I say spiritual, I'm not talking Christian. I'm not talking Muslim. I'm talking no. spirit, spirit, talking spirit. Yep. When, when people feel so down and so unfulfilled or so sad in some way, like they don't have enough that they're willing to go to these lengths. Life is, is an incredibly precious gift. And I think it's provable. Like when I went to Norway, I started looking back even further in my family tree. And luckily for my, for my own benefit, our family tree is really well documented through, nice. the, through Norway. And so I was going back like nine generations, 10 generations. Wow. And, you know, you don't really think about it because the, the, Connection you have to your family is usually like your grandpa, maybe your yeah. great grandparents. Yep. But what people don't know is once you start getting into those branches, you're not talking about grandma and grandpa. You're talking about four great grandmas and grandpas. Uh huh. And then eight, and then you know, sixteen, and then thirty-two. And I'm going back through all of these family trees and all, and now I'm like, I don't know, hundreds. And Where hundreds are you doing this people. at? Uh, Ancestry.com okay. or myancestry.com. Okay. I'm going back now and seeing hundreds, maybe thousands of different individuals that all like, think about it. Mother, wow. each, each person has a mother and father. Yeah. So once you start doubling, you start getting into a tree that's so big, yeah. you can't even print it out on a piece of paper. So I go like nine generations back. It's taking me hours and I'm digging, 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 getting like Viking Royal bloodline hits and all of this crazy cool. shit, which is cool. Right. But here's the, here's the jam that I'm getting at hundreds, thousands, 
going back maybe millions of individuals that lived entire lives and made countless decisions and all of them culminated into the creation of you, of your brother. That's good amazing. Point. That's a very good point. It's miraculous. Yes. You, you don't need to sit and preach to me Bible doctrine to, co to convince me that it's miraculous because right. I can look at this family tree and realize my mere existence is miraculous in nature. And so I don't think people have a connection to who they are and where they come from and, and how important their existence, their individual existence is because we live in this world where we're so distracted with everything else. Yep. We've lost a connection to family and, and our own identity. And if you look around at our culture, there's signs everywhere that people have no identity because they're trying to be like cats and shit. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I just so, as a cat. It's, it's really, it's really sad that we've gotten to this place. And I think it's really important. We have the conversation, not, not necessarily just about suicide, but about our mental health and about finding an, a true identity of who we are and how important we are. Even if we're just a, a, an MMA coach, right? Even if we're a street sweeper, even if we work at McLeod USA and we, we're still figuring out life and we're hurling plastic pellets across the fucking sales floor. Every one of those oh people, gosh. every one of those people has some important part of my life. <coughs> and there were people on the sales floor I didn't particularly care for. Yep. And those people taught me a little something about life that made my life a little better because I learned from it. So you know, if, if people are out there and they are listening to this and they can identify with this and so many can, I know they can don't stop. Just keep yep. trucking. If you're going to take pride in anything, take pride in the resolve that you're just going to keep trucking, yep. you know, and if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to get medicated, if you need to maybe get your brain looked at because of CT, if maybe you need to learn from the tragedies of this type of thing and make sure you're not taking that concussive head trauma to make sure you're, you're making the right choices. Should I play football? Should I get involved in martial arts? To what degree should I take this? Yep. Do it and keep doing it because you're important to, you're important to your family. You're important to the world. Everybody in this entire thing, whether you're ideologically, you think you're ideologically separate, whether you think you're heavy left or heavy right, you're a human being. Exactly. And on a, on a subatomic structure, we are, we are literally connected. I don't think people understand this because they're limited with the, view, the vision of their eyes. We, we have very primitive eyes that can see what 1% of the light spectrum. We can't see on a quantum scale. Nope. But if we could see on a quantum scale, I wouldn't be sitting here looking at Matt with Hawkeye garb on. I'd be sitting here looking at a collection of atomic energy yep. that was made out of stardust that was a conscious sentient being talking to me and relating and making choices with me. And we would be physically interconnected by the atomic structure of the, the molecules in this air and then the table. And people are like, woo, you're getting woo woo. No, this is science. It's completely this science. Is all measurable energy field. The world is one big about. energy circle. And, and that's not where it ends. You know what I mean? Yep. Like the world is that, and we don't even know what dark matter is yet. We have empty space that's not really that empty. We just can't quite perceive what's out there. And it goes out for hundreds and millions of light years. And so there's two possibilities um, in one respect, in one perspective. One, we're alone in this whole vast, crazy, right. cold universe. We're alone. That's a miracle. Yeah. Right? That's miraculous. If that's the <clears throat> truth, 
holy shit. Yeah. We got it even better than we thought. If it's not, that's a miracle too. Yep. So it doesn't matter really. If you look at, if you, if we can just like close our eyes, take a deep breath, zoom out and zone in all of a sudden just to be here and to be breathing air and to be thinking and to understand and have the capacity to understand is incredible and it's miraculous in nature. And I think that if there's anything nefarious in nature, it's all of the things that would seek to distract us and distract people like your brother and my friends and my uncle from the miraculous nature that they, they yep. even exist in the first place. So if you, if, if you're, you know, if you're sitting here and you're talking to your brother and you have one more shot, because I had a dream about my dad recently that was incredibly vivid. They say, they say they'll come to you in your dreams. Yeah. Well, I, and that makes sense yep. I, as the objective person, the person yep. that loves science, I, I'm going, well, yeah, of course they're a huge part of your life. Yep. Of course they're going to come to you in your dreams. So I, 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 I will automatically play the devil's advocate in a lot of these situations and try to explain them. But, um, I haven't had a dream this vivid about mm -hmm. my dad at all until the other day in Norway. And so um, you were in Norway when this happened. Yeah. And I, I fell asleep after, um, what I can only legally describe as the best day. Um, the, I don't want to say the best day because then people would be like, isn't the birth of your kids the best day? <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. really. It's pretty fucking stressful. It's super stressful and I didn't yeah. know what was going on. <laughs> you know? Um, it was a great day, but in terms of blissful heaven, like life, there was a day that Courtney and I had, um, the 10th day where we went out on a boat and it was the most incredible heaven-like experience I've ever had in my entire life. And it wasn't even close. It wasn't even close. It was, a, I'll tell you about it off camera. And, uh, I, I fell asleep that night and I had a dream about my dad and I was back work at aspect. He used to come and visit me when I was on the job site and bring me sandwiches and shit. And he goes, uh, he walks into the room as I'm talking to all my friends and stuff. And he goes, Hey, Keone. And I was immediately like, like I knew, I, like I knew he wasn't alive. It wasn't like in my dream. It was back, you know, like right. immediately I was like, you're here and you're, I'm looking at you and it's your voice and it's your walk. And it's some conscious thought. And it's you like, I'm right there. And I immediately was like, dad, what do you like? What do you, how? Yeah, how? Like, you're not supposed to be here. Are you, like, how are you here? And he kind of gives me this smirk that he always gives me. And he goes, I want to see that property that you're working on for, for the family. Because I'm working on getting my mom moved out to my house. You know okay. what I mean? And that would be something that he would want to do is go, and I'd yep. go, okay. And I'd, I wouldn't take my eyes off of him. Everybody disappeared oh, yeah. me. Right? I wouldn't take my eyes off him because I knew, like, like you felt the second you did, he's gone. Why would I? Yeah. You know, like you're here right now yeah. in this moment and I'm here with you. And so I go, okay. And I start getting up and walking towards the door, still looking at him. He goes, well, first give me a hug. And so I was like, okay. And I went up, dude. It's beautiful, man. I gave him a hug and I could feel, you know. Like, and I just didn't want to let him go. And so I hugged him and hugged him and hugged him. And I was just like amazing. And, uh, and I woke up, you know? So, um, we still can connect with the family 
whether they're gone or whether they're perceived to be gone or whether they're yep. not or whether we're we have multi-dimensions that we don't even understand and they're still living in one of them yep so if you could go to that place and you could you could talk to your brother for 30 seconds like i could talk to my dad what would you say to him give an update yeah tell what's going kids. on yeah you know talk like we normally did mm -hmm. <clears throat> talk about the, the kids and uh, dogs. I'm, I'm actually adopting one of his dogs. Oh, cool. Next weekend. It's, I'm a dog guy, as you know. Remember Bubba? Yep. <clears throat> yep. yep. And uh, it's, it's 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 like taking in someone else's kid, you yeah. know? And so I'd probably tell him about all the fun we're going to have and good times and, you know, tell him I train him a little better because my brother wasn't a very good dog trainer by any means. <laughs> Neither am I. But um I just snuggle with him. Yeah, he's gonna be a snuggler. And uh it probably some of my pains, you mm. know, some of my questions. Because he he always wanted to be that gentle giant. You know, he he got very philosophical in the last two few years and I never quite understood that either. But um he would he would probably be uh, he he'd want to help me. Mm. So that's what it'd be. So what kind of you? And uh, yeah, it'd be fun. A nice conversation to have. It's a conversation I think you can have. You know what I mean? I think you probably know your brother like I know my dad in a way that you can ask questions and you'll yep. get answers. Yep. You, know, you, you like, there's times I still like, I, I never understood why people do that. Why do you talk to people when they're not there? And they're not, because they kind of are. Yeah. They're so much a part of who you are. It's the energy. Yeah, whether, yeah, whether you- I've gotten energy off of you and you don't even know it. Yeah. When you know, the night I got the phone call that Will got in that terrible accident, you know, the shirt I put on him from a closet, hard drive. Mm -hmm. I looked at my closet and thought, I need strength right now. I put a hard drive t-shirt on because I knew it was full of strength. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, 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 really, the thought came back to you. Mm -hmm. You know, where's the strength? Boom. Um, whether you knew your energy was being used at that point in time or not, it's just it's what's, it's what it's for. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I, I don't think about stuff like that i i i do now because i've talked to enough people <clears throat> through doing this right or through um being in the gym where they're like coach i need to tell you like this really helped and i'm like wow yeah i would have never even in a million years thought that you would have our spirits connect right, that you would they be like each other about that they want to Maybe something that I did that I didn't even think was that significant yep. had this enormous impact on somebody's life. And like now I'm starting to really grasp that like we send these reverberations through the ethos and people pick them up and we're completely unaware of it. But we're we're actually receivers and we're transponders. Oh, yeah. We're putting that vibe out into the universe. And that's why I feel like there's always this balance of 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 good and evil, but like more and more people need to put that good vibe out there because it, it saves lives. It does. Like it put, it helps inspire people with hope. And like, if, if I can do that, like if I could honor that child that I was and just know that I helped you in that moment, we, I won. Yes. I won at life. Yep. If you can, if you can be there for your brother's daughters and your brother's pup, winning. It's a win. It's a win. It's a Their life has now even if your life had no meaning up to this point, yeah. which it obviously does, but even if it didn't, now it does. Yeah. That's incredible. So 
Well, man, I really appreciate you coming and talking to me. I appreciate um, you having me here, awesome. bud. Yeah, I've missed you. Um, I missed you too. And I miss so many people that I don't ever talk to, but, um, you know, like I said, I get into this. I know. And I like, I'll do I it. I respect that too. Yeah. But the, the, I, I always like to have the opportunity to talk to people. So this is why I started doing this podcast because face-to-face communication needs to happen. It We're does. getting too far away from it. We're losing a little bit of our humanity. We're yep. losing inflection. We're losing everything to the ghost in the machine. And I want to have this as a medium for it. For people that have been a part of my life or people that want to share their lives with me, they always got a place to come and sit and have a That's conversation awesome, with me. You know, why, why not? Like, I, I, I want to write this story of my life and then I want to, I want to fill it with all these crazy tales about yeah. McLeod. And then I have somebody to come on and go, no, that shit actually happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, do, you guys ever, do you guys ever, do you ever have anyone take some seeds and just randomly put on people's desks? And then watch them when they fight. Because anyone that knows what a seed looks like, they'll kind of like freak out and stuff. Yeah. Oh my right. gosh, it was hilarious when they would do that. They were all over the floor. Remember every night they'd have to vacuum them up because they just littered the floor. <laughs> okay, so so the, on the seed thing, during the seed wars, um, I got a hold of Mitch Peak recently because he does he he did credit restoration. He does some other stuff now, but he helped he gave me a couple contacts. Is he still on Burlington? I don't, I think so. Okay. He's not in town. He helped me out, but I wrote about him in this book. He's going to be pissed off when I say that, <laughs> but he had this roll in the back of his head. He right? did. And the one time I shot one of his fucking pellets, dude, and stuck it right in that roll. And it was there for like two hours. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't know it. Oh shit, dude. Like there's this other time me and Nick walked into the break room and, uh, Paul E. McNall. Was yeah. In there. Paul McNall. Oh, Paulie. And Paul, uh, we're, we're eating at the time me and Nick were eating like three or four cans of tuna a day. Cause we're trying to bulk up and get yep. big or whatever. And Paul walks in, Paul's an old, this really old dude. And he walks in and he like blocks the entryway, not like forcefully, but just like stands right in the middle, lifts up his leg, <laughs> put that in your tuna can. I'm like, Paul, you dirty bastard. Remember you fall asleep with his finger on the space Oh bar? Yeah. Yeah. And you making that noise. Paul, Paul, wake up. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Dude. I'm 90 years old. I need more sleep. You could make a movie about that place. Oh, big time. I mean, just the characters in that place were just. Reminds me of that movie. I can't think of what it was called, but it's about restaurant workers. Wait, waiting. Yes. And once you've been one, you're like, that is that's tea. That's 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 that environment to the to the to the tea it is. and and mcleod would have been hilarious a shit show yes a hilarious shit show and we were the black sheep yeah and we were the loudest black sheep and so many people hated us do you know my demotion party they they uh which is funny and a demotion party right <laughs> they used confetti in my cubicle cubicle and they found that confetti all the way over building one by the gym yeah, so this facility's outlawed confetti. <laughs> Dude. Nobody said a word to me. Oh man. Uh, we could have we could have a whole podcast. I'm gonna have JK Tracy on at some point. Oh yeah. Have some other people on, but like a part of another part that I think will be cool about podcasts is if I can get more of those people on, like I wanna get as many people that I've interacted with in my life right. so that when I do write this book for my kids or, or, or try to release it, people can go back and quantify and verify other perspectives. Yeah, so that true. it's not just me. Yep. It's like other people going, I got this because for all of the stuff I remember, I can't possibly remember all that shit. Right. I just know it was no. crazy. 
it's nice to be around people because they they help remember help you remember some yeah. of these memories. The collective, yeah, the holographic memory. So, well, I told you a long time ago. I remember. I think it was. Um, I think I sent you a message when you lost your dog. Mm-hmm. And Mocha. I, yep, yep, yep. And I remember just saying, I remember putting there, you know, I've just, I've kept an eye on you. I've just kind of ever since the cloud days, and you know, Facebook helps a lot with that. Yeah. And then seeing the gym, and I remember I kind, I think I stopped in when you were just starting to do some of the demo and mm-hmm. just kind of bullshitted, yeah, you know, got a yeah. shirt, came, you know, you know, I've just always kind of like you've just kind of always, like I said, that spirit. It's just, you know, it's just kind of always just kind of, you know, like I said, through Facebook and and uh, it's, I've been, I've been proud of you, man. I mean, because I, I knew you when you were a young kid, and I'm proud of you, and I think everyone that knew you back then is proud of you. I think Dan McDaniel would be very proud of you. You know, I think about Dan a lot. He I, comes I, up my mind, too. I, I think about him, and, and he was a lot like my dad with his dry sense of humor and stuff, but he was like a somewhat of a father figure in my early days. He was. I, I didn't really need one, but in the professional setting, in the professional environment, and just being a straight shooter, um, there's a lot of people that I think about, and I think about people all the time, and I have a, I have an issue or I don't know if it's an issue, but I feel a little bit of sense of guilt because I just, I'm running forward. You know what I mean? And like, I've had best friends that were my best friends during that time that I barely talked to at, at all. And I haven't talked to for years, but then when I, when I do, it's yep. just like, we're right back yep. at it again. I don't want to feel, I feel like I've evolved a lot as a person, but a part of me really wants to honor everybody who's been good to me in life. And I want to, to make people proud. I want people that have invested in me even a little bit to go. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? He's, he's really doing what he wants to do and he's doing it and he's doing it well. And, uh, you know, uh, I love to see, I love to see people from my past and uh, me too, man. my present and catch up and just know that they're still doing it. They're still out there. And they'll share that one thing with you that you completely totally forgot about. Yep. And they'll give you a perspective that you never knew somebody had a perspective of you that way. Yep. You're like, dang. And it's I, not I wish you had told me that way yeah, back then. And it's not always good. And no, no. And that's a yes, good thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there was, But they'll usually tell you, well, I learned from what you did. Well, right. I did too. Yeah. And we're still here. Yeah. We're still alive. We still got the gift and we need to share that gift. So Sure do. I appreciate it, brother. Thanks, brother. All Thanks right, for having me. Yep. We'll, Peace. we'll talk again. Thanks, Sounds man. good. So on that, uh, on that trip.